Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Inflation as bad as ever. The latest data shows it soaring to a record 40-year high. What does that mean for you and what's President Biden saying? Biden lands in Israel, the first stop on his first trip to the Middle East. What's he trying to accomplish during his visit? Another update on the 10-year-old girl who had an abortion. A man confesses to raping her and prosecutors reveal what's now led to a federal investigation. Pro-life pregnancy centers facing heavy criticism, not just from abortion activists, but also from a top lawmaker. The CEO of one of them responds. As illegal immigration continues to reach record highs, Biden pledges billions to invest in border infrastructure. We'll give you the details on the latest White House plan to quell the surge. Newly released video of the Uvalde school shooting gives us more details on the police response. Why did it take officers over an hour to stop the gunman? A retired NYPD captain gives NTD his analysis. The NBA's biggest basketball star weighed in on the Brittany Griner situation. We'll show you what LeBron said. Inflation is still on the rise and prices are not coming down as Americans continue feeling the pain. How's the Biden administration reacting to the latest numbers and how are lawmakers responding? NTD's Iris Tao has more. Americans looking for relief from inflation did not find it in June. The Labor Department said Wednesday the consumer prices jumped 9.1 percent last month compared to the same time last year. That's the fastest annual increase in 40 years. And Americans are feeling the pain. Gas prices were up 11.2 percent last month and almost 60 percent over the past year. Yet President Biden, issuing a statement shortly after arriving in Middle East, calls June inflation numbers out of date, citing a recent drop in gas prices. And the vice president echoing him. Average national gas prices have fallen every day for nearly 30 days. And I asked Republican Senator Mike Crapo what he thinks of Biden's response. He said that same thing when I put this similar chart up months ago. It hasn't changed. Yeah, there's been a small tick down in the gas prices, but they are still the major driving force here, and they're still above $5 a gallon. I think the answer is the president needs to stop looking for excuses and start focusing on the right kinds of policies. Other GOP senators accused Biden of overspending while pointing to increasing domestic oil production as a solution to high gas prices and bring down the price of gasoline at the pump and provide a, some real relief uh, to American consumers if we would just uh, produce more energy here at home. And the higher than expected numbers will likely give the Federal Reserve a green light to continue with its aggressive rate hikes to cool off the economy. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. So how did we get here and how can we course correct? Here to offer his analysis on today's Consumer Price Index report is the Honorable Chuck DeVore, a retired Army intelligence officer and the Chief National Initiatives Officer at the think tank Texas Public Policy Foundation. I spoke with him earlier today. The Honorable Chuck DeVore, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you. Now, the Consumer Price Index rose 9.1% since last year, a 40-year high. What do you make of the latest report? 
Well, it's a combination of many things going on in the U.S. economy, most of which are caused by our government. Uh, first of all, you have essentially the printing of trillions of dollars, and so that debases the monetary unit, the dollar. Uh, secondly, a lot of that money was given to people, given to Americans in many cases, so they didn't have to work uh, during the COVID uh, crisis. Uh, and then lastly, and this is very important, uh, this policy, uh, this administration, pardon me, made it a policy when they were campaigning to go to war against the domestic oil and gas industry, and that's what they've done. And as a result, we've gone from an era of energy dominance to once again having to be a net importer of energy. Speaker Pelosi said today she thinks that we're peaking. What do you make of that? Well, remember, these are the people who said that, uh, you know, we can assure you this inflation is transitory. Uh, or then they said it was a high class problem. You know, it was only a problem for those of us who actually needed to buy stuff. Uh, I wouldn't listen to the speaker on this. She obviously has a lot riding on this. Uh, polls are looking like there is going to be a historic red tsunami in 2022, meaning that Nancy Pelosi's reign as speaker will be once again ended. Uh, and that makes sense because Americans' number one concern is inflation. And when you have uh, the value of the dollar going down by 9.1% year over year, you have food at home, food at home becoming 12.2% more expensive. And lastly, a fuel, gasoline, 59.9% increase year over year. And that's, by the way, one of the reasons why food is more expensive because it takes energy to get all those groceries to your dining room table. So what evidence do we have in addition that this is not the peak? Well, again, the, these policies have not changed. I mean, here you have our president now in the Middle East going to Saudi Arabia, a nation that not long ago he branded a pariah state, a nation that you know we supposedly couldn't have dealings with anymore. And why is he in Saudi Arabia? He's in Saudi Arabia to beg the crown prince for more oil, that the this nation state that uh, supposedly was so bad we couldn't talk to them. The president's going there to say, please pump more oil because, uh, you know, gasoline costs too much in America. Now, President Biden could take steps. Uh, it would anger his left-wing base. But if he could take steps now to make it uh, more easy, more effective for American domestic oil and gas producers to pull American oil and gas out of the ground. But he's not going to do that. Stocks have tumbled since the report came out. What do you think the Fed will do with these new numbers? Well, the Fed's likely going to raise interest rates again. Uh, the last time they did, we saw the highest interest rate hike since 1994 when they uh, raised interest rates by three quarters of a percent. Uh, some people are saying that they're going to do it again, maybe go as full as a full percent. That, of course, will make the recession that we are likely in now even more inevitable. Uh, and will deepen the economic pain because that's the only way we can really get out of this is by tightening the money supply so that we don't have so many dollars chasing so few goods. The Honorable Chuck DeVore, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. But higher interest rates could spell bad news for our national debt, which is at a record $30 trillion. That means the federal government would have to pay much more in interest. NTD's Don Ma talks to Vance Ginn about how we got here and what's the solution. Ginn was the chief budget office economist in the Trump administration. And here with us is Vance Ginn. He's a former associate director for economic policy of management and budget. Now he's the chief economist at Texas Public Policy Foundation. Thanks for joining us, Vance. Thank you for having me. 
So I want to talk about the debt situation here in the U.S. You know, CPI is now 9.1%. No doubt that's going to make the Fed more aggressive. You know, however, Vance, for every half a percentage point rate increase by the Fed, it's going to add over $100 billion in debt servicing costs annually. Are we stuck between a rock and a hard place? Well, I think that the, uh, the Fed and Congress's overspending, the Fed's overprinting of money, has put us into this place, in this position where we're having rapid inflation, the highest inflation rate in 40 years. So we need more aggressive interest rate increases. I think it's something that we have to do, uh, but because of the bad of bad policies that have been put in place over the last year, year and a half. How did the debt get so big? You know, in February, the debt surpassed $30 trillion for the first time. How do we get here? Well, the way that I like to put it is deficits and debt are always and everywhere a government spending problem. If we don't have a revenue problem, we have a spending problem. And, and look, this has been um, across administrations. It's been across different Congresses where Congress has the power of the purse. Um, and even when I was in the Trump administration, we tried to find ways to reduce the deficits over time because just in increasing interest rates alone adds you know substantial amount to the increase in debt over time because of the increase of spending of interest payments and it's something we've got to get control or it's going to continue to crowd out not only the budget but the entire economy and it's something that we can't afford as americans yeah, you mentioned the economy the amount of national debt directly affects americans day-to-day -day lives does it not like for example it affects the level of benefits services americans get from the government you know, at the same time, servicing the U.S. debt will cost taxpayers over $8 trillion of the 10-year budget window. Vance, tell us how the national debt affects people's lives. Well, you're, you're, you're right on, and it really does affect people's lives. I mean, if you look at the national debt, which has increased by $6 trillion just in the last two years, it's a 25% increase to $30.5 trillion, that, that means that Every man, woman, and child across America owes $91,000 on average, $91,000. So if you're making $45,000 a year, that's two years of your salary. You know, and it also affects people's mortgage payments. Interest rates on mortgages have, have about doubled over the last year, and that means that mortgage payments, the monthly payment, has went up by about 50% on average, and many people can't afford that. So unfortunately, many people are going to begin to lose their homes, which oftentimes is the only asset that they have to pass on to future generations. And so this hits people in so many ways across the economy. Well, it's a serious issue. Let's talk about how we can resolve it. Do we only have two options? You know, increase taxes on the American people or reduce spending? Well, those are the two big ones, right? Um, what we've done so far is we keep spending and issuing new debt. Um, but you're right. Other ways they could do it is raise taxes, which is difficult politically. But historically speaking, the best way to do this is to cut government spending, at least cut the growth of government spending. I mean, if we looked at the last 20 years, there was about $20 trillion added in new national debt. Um, but if we had just matched pop, uh, spending with population growth and inflation over that same period, we would have a surplus of $3 trillion. That's a $23 trillion swing over that period by just slowing the growth rate of government spending. doesn't even mean cutting it. It just means slowing the growth rate so that we can still fund you know, key core government provisions like national defense, like the justice system, and some of the other things that are out there. It's not a huge you know, sort of catastrophic situation like some people would argue. It's really about just slowing the growth of government spending. Vance Ginn, Chief Economist, Texas Public Policy Foundation. Thanks again. Thank you. And also today, as we heard earlier, President Biden arrived in Israel, kicking off his trip to the Middle East. 
The White House hopes to bring Israel closer to Saudi Arabia and to convince Gulf allies to pump more oil. NTD's Steve Lance has a quick update for us. This is Biden's 10th visit to Israel, but his first time as president. It's also his first time on a foreign trip embracing one of former President Trump's legacies, the Abram Accords, which normalized relations between Israel and several Arab countries. We have reaffirmed the unshakable commitment of the United States to Israel's security, including partnering with Israel on the most cutting-edge defense systems in the world. Biden met with Israel's defense minister, among other leaders, to discuss missile defense systems. During his two days in Jerusalem, followed by a visit to Saudi Arabia, Biden aims to broker an agreement to get the two nations closer to normalization in order to tackle Iran's nuclear threats together. He also wants to convince the Saudis to pump more oil because of rising prices back here in the United States. Countering aggression from China and Russia is also on the agenda. Yet another update to a story that made international headlines recently. A man has now been charged with raping the 10-year-old girl from Ohio who got an abortion. Prosecutors suggest that the suspect may be in the U.S. illegally. Federal authorities say they're looking into it. Gershon Fuentes, 27 years old, has been living in Columbus, Ohio for seven years. He reportedly confessed to raping the 10-year-old girl from Ohio, who later traveled to Indiana to get an abortion. The girl also told police that Fuentes was the father. It's believed that at the time of the crime, she was only nine years old. Fuentes was arrested on Tuesday and arraigned on Wednesday, according to the Columbus Dispatch, which first reported on the story. He's now being held on $2 million bond. The judge said a high bond was needed because Fuentes might flee and the court had to guarantee the child's safety. Prosecutors wanted to hold Fuentes without bond, saying he's believed to be in the U.S. illegally. Fuentes' attorney says it would be unconstitutional to hold him without bond, mostly because DNA tests have yet to confirm that he's the father. It previously wasn't clear whether the girl was actually raped. Many, including the Ohio Attorney General, said there was no evidence for that. Pro-life pregnancy centers are seeing increased threats and attacks after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. A top Democratic lawmaker is calling for them to be shut down. Today, the CEO of one of these centers defended her clinic before a group of senators. Here are the details. I encourage you to be careful because there's glass everywhere as we enter. Numerous pregnancy centers across the country reported physical attacks and threats of violence following the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And now a top lawmaker also wants them gone. Here's Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren on Tuesday. Those crisis pregnancy centers that are there to fool people who are looking for pregnancy termination help outnumber true abortion clinics by three to one. We need to shut them down here in Massachusetts and we need to shut them down all around the country. Brandi Swindell, the CEO of a pregnancy center in Idaho, defended her clinic during a Senate Health Committee hearing on Wednesday. She read the story of one of her patients. I went to Stanton Healthcare and found that they are a real clinic that helped me with everything I needed. They loved me and showed me I wasn't alone, gave me things I needed for my baby, counseling to get out of my life-threatening abusive relationship, and encouraged me that I could have a life with this baby. Seeing my daughter's heartbeat made me stop feeling the panic attacks that made me want to abort and stop feeling the horrible nausea and see my baby as a real person that I couldn't kill. 
I instantly, it instantly made me feel attached to my baby and love her. Swindell says the woman in this story was later able to get out of an abusive relationship and support herself financially. Swindell says this story goes to show that abortion isn't the solution for women facing unexpected pregnancies. Meanwhile, House lawmakers also held their own hearing on abortion access on Wednesday. This is what Erin Hawley, senior counsel at Alliance Defending Freedom, had to say about pregnancy centers. If we talk about pregnancy care centers, uh, they're not fake centers. Uh, in 2019, they spent one point, or excuse me, served 1.85 million families, provided $266 million worth of goods, of car seats, of baby formula, which is surprisingly hard to get, of diapers, of the things that women really need. They also provide emotional counseling. They provide fatherhood training. The purpose of both hearings were to discuss the future of abortion access in a post-Roe America. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And now to the border. Border Patrol agents continue to report record-high illegal immigration encounters and a spike in the amount of fentanyl seized at the border. And President Biden and Mexico's president have just pledged billions for border infrastructure. Here's NTD's Melina Weiskup with more details. 240,000 illegal encounters last reported in May is the highest number ever recorded. Senate Republicans today providing details from a report they released on the unprecedented surge and highlighting what they're calling the humanitarian crisis now unfolding. Little boys and little girls who've been physically assaulted, who've been sexually assaulted. There's nothing compassionate about luring people into a trip where rapists and murderers and the worst human beings on the planet get their clutches into them. The group is unveiling a bill to address the issue, including extending Title 42 to quickly expel illegal immigrants, resuming border wall construction, and making remain in Mexico permanent. But they tell us they're clear-eyed that their solutions won't be realized until they have control of Congress. We're not naive. Uh, that probably is not likely. Uh, we're, we're looking forward to uh, times when there's uh, different numbers in each of the houses. But even then, President Biden could veto any Republican-led legislation that reaches his desk. The president has other ideas in mind. Focused on rebuilding a solid framework of U.S.-Mexican relations. After meeting at the White House Tuesday, Biden and Mexico's president together pledged $5 billion for border infrastructure, $3.4 billion from the U.S. and $1.5 billion from Mexico. The president has also pledged to double the number of work visas for Central American immigrants. But other than this, we haven't seen any comprehensive plan from the White House or here in Congress that's able to pass regarding immigration reform or getting illegal immigration under control. I'm wondering if you guys are working on anything to deal with those issues. Whether it's work permits, a fix for DACA, uh, and a path to citizenship. Those are things uh, that we strongly stand for. Um, but reforming our asylum process uh, and making it uh, easier for folks um, to claim asylum uh, is something that is a, a thoughtful approach and, and something that we need to consider as well. This was a solution also proposed by Senate Republicans in the past. So reforming the asylum processing seems like an area where both parties can come together, but it's not an area that congressional leadership has shown an appetite for moving forward on getting a solution met here. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. And now to Uvalde. Now that the video of the recent school shooting has been released, we want to take a closer look at how officers responded to the shooter. A retired police captain gives NTD's Jason Perry the analysis. But please note the following footage may be disturbing to some viewers. 
This video, published by the Austin American Statesman newspaper, shows the moment the gunman arrived at Robb Elementary. After two men attempted to check on the crashed pickup truck, the gunman then opened fire on them. A teacher then called 911 to report the gunman. And he opens fire on the school as he walks inside. A student coming out of the restroom spots the gunman and runs back into the restroom. And then the shooter opened fire for two and a half minutes. Police showed up soon after. Officers appear to be going after the gunman, but when they heard gunshots, they retreated. You can have an active shooter situation, a barricaded perpetrator situation, or a hostage negotiation situation. I spoke with Robert Brown, who is a retired NYPD captain, and he's now an attorney. Once you start hearing gunshots and you know that the, the, the gunman is in a room with people, you can't sit back and wait. And when you watch the video, the, the responding officers were heavily armed. They had tactical vests, not regular vests that officers wear, but, but heavy-duty vests, uh, you know, and some had helmets. And, you know, the students and the teachers had nothing. So you, you just can't sit back and wait, especially, like I said, such a long period of time trying to decide what to do. There's a point where you just have to go. But the officers didn't go. One officer decided to get some sanitizer. If you also notice, there's another officer putting uh, rubber gloves on, and he actually drops one of the rubber gloves in the hallway. Um, you know, it's kind of strange that you would be thinking about germs on your hands uh, at the point where kids are getting murdered, and you see the amount of time that went by. I, I could only imagine that it was somebody giving an order to hold back, that it wasn't the... the the frontline police officers that, that were holding back. And 77 minutes later, officers breached the door and killed the gunman. Relatives of the shooting victims were not happy to see the early release of the video. They expected to see the footage Sunday when a Texas House committee planned to show it to the families before releasing it to the public. The Austin American Statesman, which released the video, said in a statement, quote, we have to bear witness to history and transparency and unrelenting reporting is a way to bring change. Jason Perry, NTD News. Coming up, a former FAA official explains several factors behind the current travel disruptions at airports. Summer travelers around the globe are bracing for cancellations, delays, and other chaos. Illinois renaming and rebranding an invasive fish that threatens the Great Lakes region, giving it appetizing marketing. That and more coming up. Navigating a world of economic madness, you need to have the right guide. What do today's decisions mean for your tomorrow? We ask why, what's the alternative? Uncover the deeper reasons and the hidden influences and highlight the real opportunities for profit. At Entity Business, we connect the dots for you. Good evening. Summer travelers are facing mounting flight cancellations, delays, and other chaos at airports around the globe. The aviation industry is still trying to rebuild staff levels following the pandemic. A former FAA official says the disruption could last through this summer. 
Kenneth Quinn is a former chief counsel of the Federal Aviation Administration, or FAA. He says that behind the mass travel disruptions at U.S. airports is a staffing issue plaguing the entire aviation industry. There are shortages throughout the entire system, uh, from air traffic control to pilots to baggage handlers to ticket agents to you name it, uh, including TSA and the pre-check system. So the shortage is real. One of the problems with uh, the controllers is that they're letting them go for 10 days after they test positive for COVID, where CDC is letting them, you know, instructions to come back after five days. Quinn says the FAA has a staffing crisis and they need to take the blame for making the situation worse. He says he thinks the Secretary of Transportation and the FAA administrator need to be focused on the issue. And pilot strikes took a toll as well. The Airline Pilots Association around the world, many of them are, are not happy with the situation today. Many of them feel like it's not a staffing shortage issue. It's a pay issue and a benefits issue. At the same time, the regional carriers in the world that feed into the hub networks of the larger carriers can't hold on to pilots. An airline trade group said last month that U.S. airlines have cut about 15 percent of planned summer flights. Quinn says this is going to be a very difficult time for air travel and that the situation will probably get worse before it gets better. It's going to be certainly through the end of August and through the Labor Day period. Usually it gets a little bit better at the end of September. Uh, and then there's a lull, end of September, October, and until we build to holiday time period. And of course it gets crazy again at Christmas and Thanksgiving and other holidays around the world. So it's gonna be a difficult time. Meanwhile, in the UK, the head of a body representing Global Airlines hit out at new restrictions at London's Heathrow on Tuesday. Willie Walsh, Director General of the International Air Transport Association, says the airport had underestimated the speed of the recovery. And over to the Midwest, where Asian carp has a bad reputation. It's devastated the rivers there for decades, and now it's threatening the Great Lakes. In June, the state of Illinois launched a new initiative to combat the invasive fish. Here's that story. You know, Asian carp is really a beautiful fish. Hello, Kopi. Nice to eat you. Last month, the state of Illinois launched a campaign to rebrand the invasive Asian carp to Kopi, introducing the fish as a food fish. The goal is to reduce the overpopulation of Asian carp and prevent them from invading the Great Lakes region. Kevin Irons, assistant chief of fisheries at the Illinois Department of Natural Resources, explained why Asian carp were brought to the U.S. Asian carp are the most cultured fish in the world for food and benefit fish farming by reducing nuisance plankton, algae, plants, and snails without chemicals, which is why they were first brought to the U.S. Asian carp refer to big head, grass, and silver carp, and were imported from China to the U.S. in the 1970s. John Goss, former White House invasive carp advisor, said some Asian carp escaped from fish farms and devastated rivers in the Midwest. An Asian carp eats half its weight every day, and they eat the same food as our native fish. The female Asian carp produces about a million eggs a year, reproducing faster than any of our natives. This creates a huge river ecosystem problem. Asian carp is high in omega-3 and 6 fatty acids and rich in protein, second only to wild salmon. Because it's a top-feeding wild fish that eats primarily plankton and vegetation, it essentially has no mercury or lead. James Schaefer, general manager of Schaefer Fisheries, is astonished that no one is eating Asian carp. We're the only country that does not eat Asian carp. Around the world, this fish is accepted protein source. 
The new name for Asian carp is kopi, short for copious. Abundance in quantity and nutrients. Paul Verant, owner and chef of Gaijin Chicago, plans to introduce smoked kopi in the Osaka style, okonomiyaki, a Japanese savory cabbage pancake. We're adding smoked kopi into the batter that consists of cabbage, scallions, egg, some wheat flour, uh, dashi, tempura flakes, ginger, um, and then it's cooked on our, our griddle here at Gaijin. Graham Essex is trying out the Kopi cabbage pancake for the first time. It's really quite lovely. It's like all of these elements come together really beautifully. The Kopi, quite fantastic. If Asian carp invade the Great Lakes area, they'll pose a significant threat to the region's $7 billion fishing industry. ChooseKopi.com lists markets and restaurants where Kopi is available. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News Chicago. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. Over to the West Coast. In California, police busted an underground bunker containing stolen items including tools and firearms. The bunker was found in an area known to be populated by homeless people. Here are the details. San Jose police announced on Tuesday they discovered an underground bunker in a homeless encampment filled with stolen goods. The discovery comes after an investigation of a commercial burglary incident on Monday. They found $100,000 worth of stolen tools, equipment, and firearms near Coyote Creek and Wool Creek Drive. The items will be returned to the victims, including the locally owned business. Police say they likely got their power by plugging into somebody else's source. According to the police, six suspects were arrested for a variety of charges. At a certain fast food restaurant chain, tuna sandwiches apparently don't contain any tuna. That's according to a recent ruling over a lawsuit that alleged the chain misled customers. And there's DNA evidence supporting that claim. Here's more. A California federal judge recently ruled that Subway can be sued for allegedly misleading consumers about its tuna products. The lawsuit says lab tests found that a sample of tuna used in its sandwiches do not contain any tuna DNA. John Tigar, a U.S. district judge in San Francisco, ruled in favor of the plaintiff's allegation that Subway's tuna products may contain ingredients other than tuna. According to the lawsuit, a laboratory test at UCLA tested 20 different tuna samples from 20 different Subway restaurants in Southern California. Paul Barber, a marine biologist in the lab, says the results found 19 samples had no detected tuna DNA. Researchers instead found DNA from other fish species, chicken, pork, and cattle. But Subway said that the non-tuna DNA could be from cross-contamination or eggs from mayonnaise. Subway, with a vast number of locations in the United States, defended its tuna. A spokesperson said the company serves 100% tuna, adding that they are disappointed the court felt it couldn't dismiss the plaintiff's reckless and improper lawsuit at this stage. The lawsuit seeks damages for fraud and violation of California consumer protection laws regarding Subway's tuna sales. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. NBA superstar LeBron James was critical of U.S. attempts to get WNBA star Brittany Griner home from Russia. 
On a trailer for his pre-taped talk show, The Shop, uninterrupted, James asks, how can she feel like America has her back? He then continues saying, I would be feeling like, do I even want to go back to America? James then clarified his comments in a tweet last night saying, my comments on The Shop regarding Brittany Griner wasn't knocking our beautiful country. I was simply saying how she's probably feeling emotionally, along with so many other emotions, thoughts, etc. inside that cage she's been in for over 100 plus days. Long story short, bring her home. The 31-year-old Griner has been detained in Russia since the middle of February, when Russian authorities say they found cannabis oil in her luggage at a Moscow airport. The U.S. State Department has reclassified her case to wrongfully detained meaning they are actively working to secure her release. Optimism had been building after former Marine Trevor Reed, who had been detained in Russia since 2019, was released in a prisoner swap in April. Griner last week pled guilty to drug possession charges while saying it was unintentional. Her next court appearance is scheduled for July 14th. In NHL news, Penguin center Evgeny Malkin will re-sign with Pittsburgh. The 35-year-old, who's played his entire 16-year career with the Penguins, will sign a four-year, $24.4 million deal. Malkin, who was drafted second overall by Pittsburgh in 2004, won the Hart Trophy in 2012 as the league's MVP. He's twice led the league in points and been an integral part in Pittsburgh winning three Stanley Cup titles. Meanwhile, the Oilers will retain winger Evander Kane on a four-year, $20.5 million deal. The 30-year-old Kane signed with Edmonton in January after the San Jose Sharks terminated his contract for violating COVID protocols while playing in the American Hockey League. In baseball news, J.D. Martinez, Garrett Cooper, and Carlos Rodon were all named as All-Star replacements on Tuesday. Martinez will replace the injured Jordan Alvarez for the American League squad, marking his fifth All-Star selection. The 34-year-old Red Sox is fourth in the AL with a 3.13 average, while his 29 doubles ranked second. Rodon will fill in for relief pitcher Josh Hader, who is on the bereavement list. Rodon's eight wins for San Francisco ranked second in the National League, and this is his second straight All-Star nod. And finally, Cooper will replace the injured Bryce Harper as a designated hitter for the National League. The 31-year-old is hitting 296 with 21 doubles for Miami. This marks his first All-Star appearance. The All-Star game will take place on July 19 in Los Angeles. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And coming up, an independent inquiry in the UK found over 1,000 children were sexually exploited in the town of Telford over several decades. How did the crimes go unchecked? And in Sri Lanka's president flees the country hours before he's scheduled to step down. That's after protesters stormed the presidential palace and government buildings. We'll have the latest updates for you after the break. NTD's Capital Report. It's about getting answers. Cutting through the fog of politics. It's about your questions and our chances to ask. What is the net impact of the American Carson Graves? Thank you for joining us. We're speaking to those in power to find out what does this mean for the people. 
We're here, so you're in the know. Over to the UK, where a new inquiry finds that child sexual exploitation went unchecked in the town of Telford over a 30-year period. There are reportedly over 1,000 victims. Let's hear more from NTD's Earl Rhodes. An independent inquiry has concluded that more than 1,000 children were sexually exploited over the last 30 years in Telford, Shropshire, amid shocking police and council failings. Inquiry Chairman Tom Crowther, QC, said unnecessary suffering and even deaths of children might have been avoided had West Mercia Police done its most basic job in acting on reports of such crimes. Information was not properly shared between agencies. Key agencies dismissed child exploitation as child prostitution. Key agencies blamed children not perpetrators, for exploitation. Exploitation was not investigated because of nervousness about race. According to findings published on Tuesday, teachers and youth workers were discouraged from reporting child sexual exploitation. As a result, offenders were emboldened and child sexual exploitation, or CSE, continued for decades without a concerted response. For decades, CSE thrived in Telford, unchecked. The account of a child in the 70s who recalls being sexually touched by groups of men in a corner shop and given gifts for her silence echoes in similar accounts given by victims and survivors who were exploited as children 30 years later. Only the nature of the gifts had changed. No longer sweets, but mobile phones and top-ups. One girl, Lucy Lowe, became pregnant at the age of 14 to Ahsa Ali Mehmood. Two years later, in 2000, Lucy died, along with her mother and her 17-year-old sister, when Mahmoud set fire to their home. The evidence shows, though, that these concerns and reports were largely not taken sufficiently seriously by the council, by its predecessor authority, or by West Mercia Police. Failure by these agencies to investigate emboldened offenders. Failure to safeguard children properly put children at risk. The men, often taxi or food delivery drivers, would meet young girls on the streets and persuade them to become their girlfriend in what was described as the loverboy method of sexual exploitation. Seven people were eventually convicted of sexually abusing trafficking and prostituting four teenagers between March 2008 and December 2009 in the so-called Operation Chalice trial. Crowther said after the trial, police and the council scaled down specialist teams to virtually zero to save money. A focus on abuse within the family at the expense of extra-familial exploitation. Over-caution about acting in the absence of, quote, hard evidence, that is a formal complaint from a child about exploitation, and a nervousness that investigating concerns against Southern Asian men in particular would inflame racial tensions. West Mercia Police and Telford and Reckin Council 
apologised to abuse victims. Earl Rhodes, NTD News. Sri Lanka's president fled the country early today, just hours before he was due to step down. He's now in the capital of the Maldives. Protesters were still gathered in and around his office. Rajapaksa's impending resignation comes after thousands stormed his and the prime minister's official residences over the weekend, demanding their ousters over their handling of a devastating economic crisis. The mood at both residences was festive on Tuesday as families and friends settled into the premises, including 51-year-old Duncan Ratnayake. The Prime Minister and the President must listen to the request of the innocent people and hand it over to the country's youth. The President has not been seen in public since Friday. Parliament will elect his replacement on July 20. The immigration official said authorities could not under law prevent a sitting President from leaving the country. But on Tuesday, officials stopped the president's brother and former finance minister Basil Rajapaksa from flying out of Sri Lanka. It was not immediately clear where he was trying to go. The Rajapaksa dynasty had dominated local politics for years, despite most Sri Lankans blaming them for current problems. Another of the president's brothers, Mahinda Rajapaksa, resigned as prime minister in May after protests against the family turned violent. His replacement, Ranil Wickremesinghe, did not move into the official residences and was not present when protesters broke in and set the place on fire. President Rajapaksa's sudden departure Wednesday marks a historic turning point for the country. Now no one from his family remains in a position of power. Coming up, Americans visiting Europe are taking advantage of the low exchange rate between the euro and the dollar. The euro dropped to parity with the dollar for the first time in two decades. And thousands of people head to the largest agriculture shows in Britain, the Great Yorkshire Show, where there's plenty of sheep. We'll have the highlights for you after this short break. Good news if you're planning to visit Europe, but bad news if you're a European resident. The value of the euro fell to parity with the dollar for the first time in 20 years. That means one euro is worth one dollar. Here are the details. The value of one euro fell to just one dollar on Tuesday for the first time since 2002. The euro has lost around 12 percent of its value versus the dollar since the start of the year. This is good news for American tourists spending money in the Eurozone, but may not be good news for Europeans. A trip to the United States will cost more for them, and some Italians say they are worried about the rising costs. It's definitely not a positive sign. Everything around it makes us realize that. There are increases on everything, not to mention gas and the economy. I came to Rome because I have children who study and work here. Rome is crowded. But the restaurants are not full, so the problem is real and it's also a big one. American tourists in Rome and Paris reacted enthusiastically to the news. The current exchange rate means they now have more purchasing power in the Eurozone. Um, well, we went somewhere today in like Brandy Melville and it was cheaper to like buy the share. Like in Euros it was 21 and then in American dollars it was 23. So I mean, it's cheaper to come here and buy stuff, so it's better to come here, I guess. And spend money here than spend money in the U.S. You can get the same stuff. So yeah, I mean, I guess I would come here more than 
because it's cheaper to come. A man from Ohio says this makes his trip a little bit more affordable. He can do some things that he might not have otherwise done. And a woman from New York says she might even reconsider her future holiday plans. Yeah, so I would definitely spend probably a little bit more than I was expecting to bring home gifts and probably do a little bit more shopping in the wonderful shops. Um, but definitely for Christmas, for holiday, um, would reconsider where we would go. Um, we normally go away somewhere warm, but maybe we go somewhere in Rome or somewhere back in Paris and France to um, take advantage of that euro. The last time the euro was below $1 was on July 15, 2002. Both currencies have been trading at 20-year lows as a dollar has surged along with U.S. interest rates. And over to the U.K. One of the largest agriculture shows in England opened its doors in Yorkshire on Tuesday. The Great Yorkshire Show is a celebration of the English countryside, agriculture and food. Tickets sold out this year with 140,000 people expected to attend over four days. NTD's Jane Wirrell was at the show and sent us this report. Well, in preparation for these four days at the Great Yorkshire Show, the animals here have been groomed well in advance. We found out what it takes to get your sheep ready for the show. They're usually just grass-fed, but for about a month before um, the shows, um, we'll give them a bit more nutrition, so a bit higher protein, um, and then we'll start to prepare them, get them all dressed up about a month before. So when you're dressing your sheep, you're wanting them to kind of, you're wanting to exaggerate their their um, the, the, the good characteristics. So, for example, um, the Dutch spotted sheep are nice and long in conformation. They're wide. They've got good briskets and they've got good jiggets as well, which is what the judge is looking for. So you're wanting to kind of elaborate on that by making their, you know, their bums look as big as you possibly can, the brisket looking as big as possible. Um, they want them to be nice and tight skinned, so the Dutch spotted are nice tight skinned sheep anyway, but you're just wanting to kind of exaggerate on that, making them look even more tighter. Um, nice and clean, sharp sheep. There's plenty more sheep just across from there. It's the sheep shearers competition, a skill that can take eight to ten years to master. And not to forget the cattle. This year at the show, there are two World Cattle Congresses. Bring out the natural shine, it's there, but you've got to bring it out. What we do is not an occupation, it's a way of life. You know, we love what we do, and everyone in the showground is doing this, will tell you the same. We wouldn't work 15, 18 hours a day, seven days a week, if we didn't love doing this. The Great Yorkshire Show has been going for more than 160 years. The director said he hopes it will continue as an agriculture show. There are many things here that are traditional. M many of the uh, sheep classes and the pig classes were all here at the beginning. People can expect to see get the shopping at Christmas if that's what they really want, an explanation from farmers about where the food comes from. But it's a great place for farmers to gather. Uh, uh, together. Farming is quite a lonely old industry nowadays and so people come here on holiday uh, very much the livestock people do, but people that you haven't seen from one year to the next. It's a, a wonderful social gathering for everybody. While it has a strong heritage, people are also here for the food. To give you some numbers, and this is excluding sales that are made to the general public, the list for the caterers includes 400 kilograms of sausages, 40 sponge cakes, 2,200 scones, and around 10,000 Yorkshire tea bags. Jane Wirrell, NTD News, Harrogate. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.